You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you love them? Yes. All right. Do well to make sure they know that you love them after this service. Amen. Then the final announcement is this. The next miracle service in Lagos is going to be titled Worship and Power. It's... Hallelujah. It's going to be a service of songs. We'll spend time singing, worshiping, pouring our hearts out. And then normally we'll dispense power as per usual. Praise the Lord. Alright, are you excited to be alive? Do you love Jesus? Are you sure you love Jesus? Alright, you can have your seat. Sit down one minute. Let's get into the word of God. How many of you were at Prince Will and IBK's wedding yesterday? Yeah, it was a wonderful wedding. It's happy we went. Praise Jesus. All right, Matthew chapter 13, verse 25. We're getting into the teaching of God's word. The teaching title for today is Kill Joy. We've been doing a teaching series on joy. I didn't get the memo, so apparently all members of Crested Worship wore a suit today. And I'm here looking like a houseboy in my chart. Matthew chapter 13, verse 25. Are you there? I don't mean is the screen there. I'm asking if you are there. All right, Matthew chapter 13, verse number 25. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Do you love Jesus? Yes, yes, sir. Say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Say, I love his word. I love his word. Say, I love his spirit. I love his spirit. I love his church. I love church. Praise the Lord. All right, are you there? It says, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares or wheat among the wheat and went his way. And um, while this verse of scripture is a part of another, you know what, can we do something? If there's an empty seat in front of you, could you just move forward and fill it up quickly? Move forward and fill it up quickly. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. Very quickly. I just want to make sure that everyone is close to me. It's raining this morning. It's very cold. Should we do the Father Abraham exercise? Oh, um, um, is, it, is it Father Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. Right hand, left hand. Turn around, sit down. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. You didn't go to Sunday school. All right. While men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears or weed among the wheat and went his way. And while this is a portion of another scripture, an entire parable that has an entire different meaning, there is, um, have, you, have you guys noticed that ever since we called him Pastor Finn, he has been wearing some, he has been serving us looks. He has been serving, I couldn't help but be distracted by the looks. So here's what's going to happen. I will just come down now and give him the mic so he will continue the rest because clearly he's more anointed than I am. How can I preach when he's here? I mean, it's wrong. For the last time, Matthew 13, 25. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. And like I said the other two times, while this is a verse of another scripture and another parable that has its own entire meaning, there's something I want to pull out of it. There's something I want to read from it. And it's this. That whatever you don't tend to will rot. Do you understand? Growth is the only constant thing in life. Here's the thing about growth. It tends towards death. Do you get that? Which means that everything in life tends towards death. In chemistry, there's something called Entropy. Raise your hand if you remember entropy. Delta S. Raise your hand if you remember it. All right, put your hands down. There's something called entropy. 
An entropy is the measure of the degree of the state of disorderliness of a system. And one of the things you learn when you are learning entropy is that every system tends towards disorderliness. Do you understand? So, anything that is not deliberately and consciously kept in order will tend towards disorderliness. You can arrange a room and leave the room closed for 10 years and you come back to the room and the room could have been speak and span when you left it neat. But when you come back, you would have had mold build up in some parts of the room. You would have had... Um, dust accumulation and then because nobody's opening the windows the bricks that were used to build the room the blocks that were used to build the room become softer the wall begins to crack and then the house begins to dilapidate why because every system tends towards disorderliness and whatever you don't deliberately grow will die the only things <laughs> that grow without attention is weed. I'm not talking about the one that you use recreationally. I'm talking about plants. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah. The only thing that grows without any particular attention is weed. And they are unwanted. And so when you don't tend to a system, you create a problem, and here's the problem you create. You give room for unwanted things to grow within it. Do you understand? You give room for unwanted things to grow within it. Whatever you don't nurture will die. That's how I want to start today's teaching. We've been doing a teaching series on joy, and I've taught you several many things about joy. But here's one important thing I want to say. Whatever you don't nurture, will die. And so if you don't nurture the joy of the Lord inside of you, guess what will happen to it? Yeah, it will die. And so you begin to live in contradictions and it begins to look like, yeah, the pastor lied when he said the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Because I don't feel any joy in my life. There's no joy. I, I can't see it. There are many things that kill joy in the life of the believer and i want to take two things and i think the first one is somewhat all-encompassing while the second is an addendum to the first and the first is what i have called or what the bible has called the roots of bitterness the roots of bitterness hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 to 16 hebrews chapter 12 Verse number 14 to 16. Are you there? All right. It says, follow peace with all men. And what? Oh, so you are not there. And what? It says, without which no man shall see the Lord. Next verse. And he now says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any roots of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many are defiled let me say something before i continue do you realize that things external do not defile you jesus said it's not what a man takes in that defiles him it says what comes from within the man that would defile the man things external really don't defile you you know all of the secular music you see it doesn't defile you until you internalize it. You know what I mean? And, and when I say secular music, I'm not talking about secular in the general, word of the sec of, um, general sense of the word secular. I'm talking about music that is ungodly and immoral. All right? Because there's secular music that is not ungodly and immoral. Um, this song that we sing for babies, baby, shark, do, 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 is a secular song. Amen. Unless you want to grow your child to just worship. Never lose your joy. And then the child will be like... <laughs> All right, so nothing external defiles you until what is external is internalized. It doesn't defile you. It does nothing to you. It's just there. The problem is many of us internalize external things without knowing that we've done that. See, that's why we want you to be careful what you listen to and what you watch. You internalize external things without knowing it. But he says, 
lest any roots of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Next verse. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And I'm going to spend some time talking about this verse in a few minutes. But let me talk about this first. One sure way to kill your joy is to not follow after peace with all men. Is to not seek peace with those around you. Many people don't understand that all the strategizing of the wicked affects the wicked more than it affects the one upon whom he's casting his wickedness. Let me say that in another way. When you refuse to be forgiven, it affects you more than the one you don't want to forgive. Do you understand? When you refuse to be kind, it affects you more than the one against whom you are not kind. When you're a cruel person, it affects you more. Especially as a believer, because you need to understand that the heart of the believer is designed to be soft. The promise of the Spirit is that he will take away the heart of stone and give you a heart of what? So, whenever we choose deliberately to walk in wickedness towards all men, we harden our hearts. When you choose to be unforgiving, you harden your heart. And so, the soil from which joy should spring is so hardened that joy has no way to come out. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? So, if you want to live in joy, you must find peace. And listen, the first way to find peace is to learn to give it. You know, I just want to date a guy who just loves me. He will just be my safe place, my safe haven, my peaceful place. But you yourself, you are a troublesome warrior. They cannot tell you A, B before you've gone to X, Y, Z. I mean... You have words for everyone. You can take on the whole world. Have you seen people like that? They post something on Instagram and everybody that comments against their points, they respond to every single person. They have a response for everybody. And the response is not nice. It's not, oh, brother, if you look from scripture, mm -mm, you're an idiot. Some people are very crafty with words. I mean, normally, terrible speakers, they don't know how to communicate, they don't know how to speak, but when it comes to insulting, they, they just have this very good way around words. And then they wonder why there's no joy in their life. <laughs> so, the first way you find peace is from within. You can't give what you don't have. Do you get what I'm saying? So you must learn to tap within and bring the peace of the Holy Ghost that's inside of you and show it to all men. Let all men partake of that peace that is in you. You may be in trouble. Still learn to show peace. Follow peace. Follow after peace. You know, some, some of you, you like everyone to know when things are not working well for you. You want to snap at everybody, transfer aggression as much as you want. And you think we should excuse you because, oh, I'm, I'm angry. I'm angry right now. You must learn to follow after peace. Else, the result of not following after peace is that there is something that will spring up within you called the root of bitterness. It, it just, it's sown in your heart and it begins to grow. And it begins to grow. And guess what happens? every root will grow into a plant or a tree. And that tree will have many branches. And so, the root of bitterness that you are allowed to grow inside of you will grow one day and you begin to see things like anger, unnecessary lust, jealousy, one very evil type of ambition that you can't explain. One love for money that you don't know. Where did it all start from? Something called the roots of bitterness. Verse 15, verse 16 rather. He says, lest there be, so 
if you read from verse 15, it says, don't let the root of bitterness spring up within you that will now trouble you and defile you. And this is the result when the root of bitterness has sprung up within you and troubled you. It says, lest there be any fornicator. Many of you read the word fornicator and your mind immediately goes to sex outside of matrimonial home. That's not the meaning of that word necessarily. All right. Um, can you give me this verse of scripture in a more recent translation so hcsb will do everybody read together want to go and see that there isn't any immoral or what so one effect of the root of bitterness within a person is irreverence immorality have you spoken to let me just say something i've spoken to a lot of atheists in my time and for those of you who have spoken to atheists, do you ever come off asking yourself, why is this person so angry? Why are they always so angry? Why are they always so irreverent? For someone who doesn't claim to believe in God, you spend so much of your time thinking about him. A lot of atheists spend more time thinking about God than Christians. I'm telling you the truth. A lot of Christians just pray to God and that's it. We go about our day. Let's go, let's go. We forget that God exists. Until we have a need, and that's very terrible. You shouldn't be a Christian like that. They love atheists, they wake up. So how do we disprove that God exists? For someone that doesn't believe in God, man, a lot of the time is spent on it. It's bitterness, a root of bitterness. And behind most atheists I've spoken to, there's always some internalized problem. Somebody died or someone lost someone, or maybe the problems of this world got to you, and then you came to the conclusion that there is no God but there is a root of bitterness that has deposited itself inside of you. The Bible calls you immoral or irreverent like Esau. So you think back to Esau and you wonder to yourself, what did this guy do? You know, you read scripture and everywhere Esau is mentioned outside of Genesis, he's mentioned in a bad light. Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. You know, God never hated anyone else in the Bible except Esau. Esau, one guy. Just because of porridge yam. So let me just say that this is your warning to stop eating yam. If you are a lover of yam, stop it. It's ungodly. I'm, just, I'm jokingly serious. Only eat yam when there's no option. If you know, you've gone through a lot, there's no money to buy food, and there's yam. Then you consider it for like three hours. Ah! So I will define myself with this thing now. Then after eating the yam, the only one time you are allowed to ask for forgiveness is after eating yam. Say, God, I have sinned before you. Adebosola, stop eating yam. I'm just joking. But you read Esau's story, and you begin to wonder to yourself, what did the guy do? Let me tell you what Esau did. Esau sold his birthright. Remember that? What was Esau's birthright? What exactly did Esau sell? You see, because if you know something about biology, I have a younger sister, she's in church. And it doesn't matter how angry or hungry I get, and I say, take it, I'm no longer the older one. I will always be the older one. Is that correct? I can't turn back the hand of time. So I can't really sell. You know, people say he also sold his birthright. So he said Jacob should now be the older one. It's not possible. So it's like when your father says he has disowned you, he can't. You know why? He already gave birth to you. He can only stop talking to you. Disown, that word disown is just a nice name for malice. Can't really disown you in the real sense of the word. So I disown you. Fantastic. So what was Esau's birthright that he stole? To understand that, you have to understand the doctrine in the Old Testament called the doctrine of double portions. Doctrine of double portions. Remember um, Elijah and Elisha? Elijah was about to ascend into heaven. Elisha saw him. Elijah said, make a request. Elisha said, give me a double portion of your anointing. And a lot of Christians today pray for a double portion anointing. You've heard that before, but God, a double portion blessing. And we don't know what we're saying. 
because many Christians don't read. But you need to understand what a double portion, there's a doctrine called the doctrine of the double portion. And let me show you what it is. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 17. It's very easy to understand. Deuteronomy, dethrone your enemy. I'm sorry, I'm a pastor. I have to crack that joke. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 17. It says, everybody read together, want to go. He must acknowledge the firstborn, the son of the unloved wife. By doing what? By doing what? A double portion of everything that belongs to him. For he is the first fruits of his virility. He has the rights. Are you getting this? So, the doctrine of the double portion under the Old Testament was simple. The, the inheritance of the first child is that he gets to own double of everything the father gives everybody else. So, if as a father, I have a hundred things to give five people or four people, right? Now, ideally, I should share it 25% across board. But because of the doctrine of the double portion, I will give, I'm supposed to share 25% across board, which means everyone should get 25%. Is that correct? But because of this doctrine, I will give the first child 50% and share the remaining 50% across the other three. Do you understand? So when Elisha was asking Elijah a double portion of his anointing, he wasn't really saying, give me two times of your anointing. Elijah couldn't do that. Do you understand? What Elisha was asking Elijah for was a proof that he, Elisha, was the preferred son of Elijah. Because Elijah had many other sons of the prophet. Remember? When Elisha was walking, there were other sons of the prophet that came to say, do you know that your, your, your father is going to be taken off today? And Elisha said, hold your peace, I know. You know, and so he finally gets to Elijah and he says, Oh, I pray that you give me a double portion of your anointing. What he was asking for was actually that Elijah give him some, some um, token to show that this is my firstborn. Amongst all the other sons of the prophets, this is my preferred son. You get that? And so that was why Elijah left him his mantle. Do you get it? The mantle was not a spiritual thing that, ah, as the mantle first, ah, bara. Ah, as the thing touched the ground, there was earthquake. No. Elijah left him the mantle so that other sons, at the presentation of that mantle, everyone will now say, oh, senior prophet has come. Because where Elijah used to be the senior prophet, now Elisha is the... So this was why, when they now inquired of a prophet, there were many other prophets... But when the king inquired of a prophet, they said, oh, there's this man, Elisha, who poured hands on the water of Elijah. Elisha wasn't the only one who served under Elijah. There were other prophets. But Elisha was the chosen one. That's the doctrine of the double portion. So you see that from the doctrine of double portion, the transference or the inheritance many times can be, or many times is physical, except in the case where the one transferring, that is the progenitor, the father, carries an office. That office is therefore transferred to his firstborn. Old Testament theology. Do you know this now? Do you understand it? So when Esau, knowing full well, because this wasn't a hidden mystery in the Old Testament. They all knew what this was. Do you understand? This is why um, kings sought for firstborn sons because when the firstborn son came then the king would transfer his kingdom to his firstborn son if the king was a king with a kingdom and other smaller provinces he would give the kingdom first to his firstborn son and then share what is left between the other sons just like david did are you following uh -huh. so Esau knew this. It wasn't a hidden secret. Now, the second thing is this. Isaac, the father of Esau, was a prophet in his time. Do you get this? He was a prophet in his time. He had direct, unhindered access to God. Just like his father Abraham did. Now, here's something interesting to note. Abraham had two sons, is that correct? But it was upon whom Abraham trust the mantle 
that the, the office of the prophetic king, Ishmael was legitimately Abraham's first son. Is that correct? But Abraham chose Isaac as the first son from his wife to be the firstborn. And that's the reason why the, the Israelites referred to God as the God of Abraham, not Ishmael, but Isaac. Why Abraham chose Isaac. Now, Isaac wanted to choose his firstborn. So he called his firstborn Esau and said, go and make me venison something to eat and then Esau went out to kill Ram but Jacob had already heard and Jacob's mother was very very mischievous so she killed one of Isaac's rams while Jacob went to hunt for bushmeat and then she cooked the stew in a way that Esau would have never done because she has skills that he doesn't have and then brought it to um, Isaac and Isaac was blind he couldn't see so he ate of it and of course, Jacob was a farmer. Esau was a hunter. One person will smell like the bush. The other person will smell like the farm that he walks on. And so Esau walks in, and Jacob walks in smelling like animals. And then Esau is like, there's my son that I know. And then Esau does something, not Esau, Isaac does something. Isaac stretches forth his hand to bless Jacob, thinking he was Esau, with the blessing of the firstborn. And you would think that what will happen immediately is that Isaac would then say, um, so I have 10 lands, three in Leki, four um, somewhere in Ikorodu, and um, one in um, this other place, and two in this other place. Um, I'm going to give you the three in Leki and the four in Ikorodu as the firstborn. Jacob will take the remaining. You would think that's what's going to happen. But instead, what Isaac did, Genesis 27, 27, if you could get there, Are you following? Genesis 27. And he came closer and kissed him. And when Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. 28. May God give to you from the dew of the sky and from the richness of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. That is corn and wine. Next verse. He says, may people serve you and nations bow to you. Be master over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Those who curse you will be cursed. And those who bless you will be blessed. Next verse. I think this is the last one. And as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had left the presence of his father, his brother Esau arrived. Now something interesting happened. Esau arrives, and Esau is like, Oh, here's the meat. And then Jacob, um, Isaac goes, so who did I bless? And then Esau said, that must have been Jacob. And then Isaac said, well, is that not his name? Is that not the meaning of his name? Um, show me the next verse. Next verse, please. But his father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I am Esau, your firstborn son. So, Here's something. You know this story happened years after Esau sold his birthright. You remember? But he introduced himself to Isaac as Isaac's what? Which means when he was selling the birthright, he didn't mean to. He was just hungry. He just said whatever he wanted to say. Is it birthright you want? I take it, give me the food. Because in his mind, even if I sell my birthright to you, I'm still firstborn. You cannot take that away. But Esau did not understand something. That in the realm of the spirit, words have meanings. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so when, I, um, when Jacob asked him for the birthright, and he so readily gave it away, he created conditions in the spiritual that would make it possible for what happened in Genesis 27 to now finally happen. Do you understand this? And so he says, I am Esau, your firstborn, 33. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Why? Because Isaac had given a double portion of the anointing and not just that, had transferred the prophetic office, are you following this, to someone different. 
So Isaac began to control, um, treble uncontrollably. He said, who was it then? He said, who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it all before you came in and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. I can't revoke it. I'm the one who gave the blessings. Heaven, heaven has already acknowledged it. I can't revoke this. Next verse. And when Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to me, to his father, bless me, me too, my father. Next verse. 35. And he replied, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Next verse. And he said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? You know the meaning of the word Jacob is supplanter, the one who usurper, the one who usurps, the one who cheats and cheats people out of what is theirs he says isn't he rightly named jacob for he has cheated me twice now he took my best right so now esau is beginning to understand what he actually did when he sold his birthright. He took my birthright and look, now he has taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you saved a blessing for me? Well, there's no blessing for you except the blessing of the second. Because in the blessing of the firstborn, he said your mother's sons will serve you. So look at Jacob, Isaac's blessing over Esau. But Isaac answered Esau, look, I have made him a master over you. I have given him all of his relatives as his servants. Are you seeing this? He says, and have sustained him with grain and new wine. Take note, he didn't give him corn and new wine. What Isaac did was by prophecy sustained Esau's life, um, Jacob's life. Do you get it? He spoke the prophetic into Jacob's life and transferred the prophetic office into Jacob's life. And so he says, I've sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Next verse. Esau said to his father, do you have, do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me, me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly because he understood the importance of the blessing, but he sold it. This was Esau's crime. Esau, in a time of hunger, made light what was spiritual. He knew what it meant to be the firstborn. Knew that his father was to be a prophet. Knew that his father was to be a prophet in the lineage of Abraham. There was a prophetic office that he was to receive from his father. And the very first moment he saw his brother said, give me your birthright. Esau said, is it because of birthright? Take it, give me food. In Hebrews, he is called irreverent. He displaced what is divine because of his emotions. Are you getting this? Another name for that is fornication. Let me explain that fornication means to give God's place to something else. So when the Bible calls him, when KJV calls Esau a fornicator in Hebrews chapter 12, what KJV is, KJV is not saying Esau slept with someone. No, not necessarily. He, may, he might have been a great guy morally. But because he gave way to what is spiritual, because of an emotion, because of how he was feeling in the moment, he let go of the spiritual, he played down its significance and gave up that room, that spot for emotions and flesh and satisfaction, immediate satisfaction, the Bible calls him a fornicator. The reason why sex outside of marriage is called fornication is because you give way to what is spiritual, a holy union acknowledged by God, and you join yourself to someone who isn't. You are giving room to, to emotions. Are you getting this? So what was Esau's crime when he says, don't let the root of bitterness spring up inside of you so that there won't be fornicators amongst you. The root of bitterness will lead you to a position where you downplay the effect of the Holy Spirit in your life and give way to emotions. Let me say it in another way. I know that I have joy inside of me, but boy, does it feel good to pity myself sometimes. Some of us, we live in the room of self-pity. So, I know it's been something happened to me, and then everybody has told you, hey, yeah, sorry, sorry. You pick yourself up and move on. You say no. At this room, this place now, I must die here. And so you find yourself consistently wallowing in self-pity. Listen, it is cute, but it's fornication. You are Esau. I like the silence in the room. It means it's entering you. It will choke you. <coughs> it's good, but it's fornication. It's wrong. The Bible doesn't like it. 
So we come and we tell you rejoice. So last week, in fact, for three weeks now, I've taught you first time um, rejoice because you have the Holy Ghost. Is that correct? Then I taught you Jesus' joy. All that Christ did on Easter Sunday took time to go through all of that. How that our chief joy, the reason why we must be joyful at all times is because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. And listen, you tell that to some believers and they say, Pastor, I know Jesus died for me. I know all of that. But how about my problems now? Be careful. You are walking on the line of Esau. You are exchanging what is godly because of emotions. Say, Pastor, leave that one. I'm talking about real issues. You need to understand the people who wrote those instructions to you, most of them wrote them from prison. And no matter how you look at it, prison is not favorable anywhere. Do you hear me? Was still under the Roman government. Those people were masters at torture. They used to sit down and come up with new ways to torture people. And so Paul writes, rejoice always in the Lord. Again, I say, rejoice. And you say, Paul did not have problems. Paul. You know, there was a place where Paul says, we've been beaten, we've been battered, pressed down. Hey, God. Paul. You know when you read Galatians where he says, Henceforth let no man trouble me because I bear upon me the marks of Christ. For you is figurative. Paul, it was literal. They flogged him for Christ plenty times. One time he went into a city to preach. They stoned him, tied his leg to a horse and dragged him out of the city. Guess what? He got up and went back to preach inside the city. And he wrote, Rejoice always. Again, I say, rejoice then you now read that and you say that one is bible leave that one i'm talking about more pressing matters you are iso repent you are selling your inheritance of the spirit for what emotional satisfaction a brief moment of emotional satisfaction do you not realize that there will always be problems in this world Oh, don't, I'm not speaking negatively into your life. Jesus said in this world you'll face tribulations. He did say so. So there will be tough times. There will be periods where you don't like the way things are going. But Jesus then gave an instruction at joining. He says, but be of good cheer. Do you know the meaning of that phrase? Rejoice because I've overcome this world. And so when... You are face to face with a problem. Listen, it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel the effect of what is happening. Nobody's saying you shouldn't. You're not a robot. Feel it. Cry. Sit down. Be confused. Call somebody that, why is this happening to me? It's okay. What is not okay is that when the Holy Spirit then comes to do his comforting work in your heart, you refuse it. Many people think that how the Holy Spirit comforts is primarily, you now come and tell you, hey, uh, sorry, eh? Sorry, don't, don't be angry. Stop crying now. So as I cry now, do you want me to start crying too? Are you too? But it's painful now. <laughs> See, my senior partner, comforter. Listen, this is how the Holy Ghost comforts you. You're in the middle of the terrible time, he'll just enter your heart and just whisper, Jesus rose from the dead for you. He died your death and he rose in your place. So no matter what's going on, you're still going to go to heaven. You have an eternal assurance. Now, you have one of two things. You can only, you can respond in one of two ways. It's either you respond in, that's not what I'm talking about right now. Talk, mm, you are Esau. You have become Esau. Oh, you calm down and pause from your crying and allow the thought fill your heart. Listen, allow him put joy in your spirits. Do you hear what I'm saying? Sometimes something is going on and you are, you know, oh God, Jesus. Things are not working out fine. And then the Holy Ghost just comes into your heart and then he just reminds you, you do know that in spite of how things look, God is still on your side. Now you have one of two responses. It's either you respond like Esau and say, how? Show me, show me how God is on my side in this matter. Show me. How is he on my, how can he claim to be on my side? And then you go off ranting and crying and allow the roots of bitterness to spring up within you and defile you. Or you calm down and let that thought work. Let, it, let the Holy Spirit do his work in your heart. 
Don't be like Esau. Tell your neighbor, don't be like Esau. So because, because of a, a small moment of, you, you just, you know some of us, we love self-pity. Not just self-pity, we love pity generally. We just like when people are saying, hey, yeah, you're going through a lot. You're going through so much. How are you coping? And then you to hear me, I'm just trying to be strong. I'm, I'm. Cry. It's okay to cry. Ah, but allow the Holy Ghost to warm your heart. So sometimes a tough time is going on. You've had a very terrible day. You get home. You sit down thinking about the day. Then the Holy Ghost just brings a scripture to your heart. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Sometimes it might not even be a scripture. He just brings a song to your heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? What do you do? You sing it out. Because the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. He says, but be filled. So you, you fill yourself up. He says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So sometimes the Holy Ghost will just put words, songs, melodies in your spirit that you just need to sing out. Just sing it out. You might not be able to pray because, listen, I've been in situations where I, I didn't want to pray. I'm your pastor. I'm telling you the truth. I know I ought to pray. I get up and I pace the room. I'm trying to speak in tongues and my mind is not, is not allowing me to pray. Have you been in those kinds of situations before? Yes. To pray is hard. It's not easy. It's not, so you are trying. You, okay, you say, okay, I must condition my mind. Force myself to pray. You've done it 30 minutes. You are pacing the room. Nothing is happening. The Holy Spirit just puts a song in your spirit. It's okay to just sit down there and sing that song. And let the Holy Ghost warm your heart. This is the practice of joy. Yes, joy is more than an emotional. Yes, sir. You allow the Holy Ghost to warm your heart. So as you, are, as you are sitting there, the Holy Ghost is bringing songs into your spirit. You are just singing. He's bringing words, scriptures. You just say it over yourself. And before you know what's going on, all those thoughts that were lingering around, you, you just get up. The problem has not been solved. But just, I'm, I'm good. Let's go. Let's face it. Let's, what, what, devil, what next? This is why Jesus prayed before he went to the cross. You must learn to draw strength from the Spirit of God. Don't be like Esau. Don't choose your emotions and align. Listen, I said this during the prayer and fasting several times. The Spirit is always warring against the flesh. The flesh is always warring against the Spirit. Each one to gain mastery over the other so that you will not do what you want to do. That's what the Bible says. Listen, in the fight between spirit and flesh, make sure your spirit knows that you're on its side. Make sure your spirit always knows that you are on its side. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Don't be like Esau. Who for a morsel, a morsel of meat, a morsel of porridge, sold divine access. I mean, that, that must be the most ridiculous exchange in all of human history. Because of porridge yam, which is not nice to begin with. Let me say it again. If you are a lover of yam, stop it. So because of porridge yam that is not nice, God did not intend for human beings to eat yam. If he it will be soft. God doesn't like us to suffer. If it is that hard, God did not want you to eat it. I'm the one holding the mic. You can't argue against me. But because of porridge yam, or whatever the porridge was, it wasn't yam, we don't know. But because of whatever the porridge was, he sold divine access. Like, you know what it means? That God can call you in the cool of the night, ask you to go out, talk to you in your ear. You can hear him. What a privilege. And then you sold that because of porridge, meat. Don't be like Esau. Because the world doesn't have what you have. Do you hear what I'm saying? The world, when they are in trouble, they are in trouble. They look for help in alcohol, in weed, in all those other recreational drugs. Well, we have the Holy Ghost. So when we are in trouble, there is a comforter in your inside. He may not say what you want to hear, but he will say what you need to hear. Do you understand what I'm saying? So don't be like Esau and sell that divine access for what? Emotional validation? Just so you feel good, you feel like you're okay. I, I, I deserve to be pitied. Say, I'll never be pitied in my life. 
Say, I refuse pity. Pity doesn't solve anything. Do you hear me? Pity solves nothing. It's good for people to be sympathetic that, oh, that's, that's a terrible thing you're going through. They tell you, you say it's true, that's terrible. And then you move on. Not everybody will understand when you say, I have the Holy Ghost so I can face it. It's fine. It's terrible. Move on. But don't be held in that place. So, you know when you were in primary school, you, or secondary school, secondary school especially, maybe they're flogging the class, and then it's your turn, they flog you, and then you chest it like a big man that you are, and then you go back to your seat, and then your baby will ask you, is it painful? Oh, sorry. Ah, sorry. Sorry, yeah. Then some people will now say funny things like, I'm not crying because of the pain. It's not painful. It's just the embarrassment. We like pity, eh? We love it. You know why we love it so much? It strokes your ego. We just like it. That your selfishness, it strokes it. So when people are telling you, hey, yeah, sorry, you say, yes, they see me. They know what I'm going through. Some of you like to form strong women, just so people will say, ah, you are so strong. You are not dealing with the problem by the Holy Spirit. I'm talking to you. The Holy Spirit is not helping you deal with the problem. No, you are just pushing it down, bottling it in. You are not saying anything to anybody. You are just pushing it, bottling it, pushing it, bottling it. And then they will not call you. Ah, you are so strong. You are going through so much. You too. They are stroking your ego. I say, yes, I'm strong. I'm very strong. You are Esau. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You see, because in this life, eh, rot, spoiled things were not meant to be bottled. Do you understand? When you bottle them, after a while it will start to smell. And you hide it somewhere, you sweep it under the rug, put yourself together. I don't need help. After a while, everybody will start to smell it. And so you start to wonder why you are suddenly always angry. It's all those things you have been bottling up. It has swollen inside of you. It's about to burst out and you don't know. One day you will do something that you don't believe you did. How could I have done this? Is this me? Now maybe this. Yes, it was you. Because for a long time you chose to be Esau. You refused the help of the Spirit. Are you learning what I'm teaching you this morning? Allow the Holy Spirit to do His work in your heart. Refusing the work of the Spirit is a kill joy. That's how you. That's one sure way to kill joy in your life. Praise the Lord. I told you I was going to teach you two things, and the second was an addendum to the first. The second is this: Colossians, um, Second Corinthians, chapter ten, verse twelve. While I wrap up, Second Corinthians, chapter ten, verse twelve. Second Corinthians, chapter ten, verse twelve. In Circle Church, I don't think we have ever done a wedding thanksgiving as in actually sing songs and have people come up. I think we're going to do that today. We're going to have Prince Will and IBK. And now, by now, most of you should know that I have a bias for both of them. But we're going to have Prince Will and IBK just dance up. We'll pray for them as a church and acknowledge them. I mean, they're looking so pretty. You're not prepared to dance. You will dance. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Are you there? Are you there? Everybody read together. One, two, go. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not what? Are not what? What is one word for the phrase not wise? Ah, so they are not, they are very foolish. You see this, comp this comparing culture is a foolish culture. Stop it. And this is the funny thing. The world will do anything to get you to compare yourself with people. So there's a Forbes 30 under 30, 25 under 25, and you, you are 26. 
And so you are looking at all the achievements and accomplishments of 30 under 30. Of course, you have given up 25 under 25. I'm not 25 again. Let's pass that one. You are looking at all the achievements of 30 under 30. Listen, it's good to want to be, to achieve a lot of things. It's great. But you are looking at them and you are comparing yourself with them. And then you are thinking to yourself that it's not possible for me to achieve as much as they, ach they have achieved. So you start to ask yourself, what am I even doing with my life? It doesn't matter how far God has taken you. God may have done much for you. But you start to ask yourself, what am I doing with my life? Paul has a word. He has a name for you. He says you are foolish. It's foolishness. Do you get it? It's foolishness. Listen, let me tell you something that you need to come to terms with. Not everybody will be dealt the same measure of grace in this world. Do you hear me? Not everybody has the same platform from which they begin. Some people began life on an elevated platform. Donald Trump was saying that he had humble beginnings. He started with nothing but a $1 million loan from his father. How many of your fathers can afford $1 million? Let alone loan it to you. Or should I stop talking about it? So now... You are, you are his mate, and then you are comparing yourself to him. It's not right. Not all of us begins on the same platform. Not all of us have the same goals in life. Let not the one who thinks he has many think that he has much more than the one who doesn't have. Do you get what I'm saying? Listen, stop comparing yourselves to other people. You are destroying your joy that way. So you go online, so-so person has gotten married. You're now thinking, when will I get married? What, what's wrong with me? I get it. I get, I get the temptation. It's a real temptation. But can I tell you something? On one hand, and I don't want to be the pastor who does this, but on one hand, you don't know the circumstances surrounding so many of the marriages you see out there. Many of the things you say God went to, when you finally know about them, you say God forbid. Do you understand? You prefer where you are than to be in those marriages. So you are there saying God went because they come out in public, they do PDA, and they look nice together outside. But you don't know what's going on at home. And you are killing yourself, beating yourself down, saying, God, what's wrong with me? And while some of us say jokingly and we don't let it get to our hearts, some people do. Some of you, it really gets to your heart. It sits there in your heart. You can't do anything about it. You are always worried, always thinking about it. You begin to have low self-esteem. You have lack of joy. Why? Because of an unhealthy comparison. I remember last year, I was looking at our church. And as a church, we're trying, we're growing, and then um, we trust God for more growth. But I was looking at our church and I was comparing to some other churches that, God, why are we not like this church? And then one day God asked me, how old is your church? This one that you're doing now, how old is it? I told him. Then he said, look at this other church you have compared yourself so blatantly to. How old are they? 10 years, 15 years, 12 years. Can't you just calm down and do your own work? Some of you, God has put in your hand raw material. Right? And he puts another person's hand, Roma. You, the raw material is still in your hand. And you are looking at your raw material and comparing it to somebody else's finished product. And wondering to yourself that why is it this thing that God has given to me? Comparison steals your joy. It does. Because when you should plant the raw material and make a, a mighty tree out of it, like other people have you are busy comparing your seed to their tree and you don't get to plant that seed until it dies in your hands it's a foolish thing to do another scripture Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 Galatians chapter 1 verse 10 Everybody read together, one, two, go. For do I now persuade men, O God? Or do I seek to please men? 
For if I yet please, I should not be the servant of Christ. When you live your life, and this is also where comparison, another thing that affects comparison, the need to please people. Many of us that graduated from secondary school years ago or graduated from university years ago aspire to return to the alumni meeting in a white Benz or one very lovely chariot. You just drive in like this and then you come down slowly. Nothing is wrong with your body, but you just slow motion. So they will see your shoe. You just want men to be pleased with you. I get the temptation. We're a social animal. We like, we like to interact socioculturally. We love it. Sorry, help me with those. God bless you. But here's the interesting thing. Paul says that if we live our lives to please people, we are not servants. We can't be servants of Christ that way. You know why? Because many times where God will lead you will be unpopular amongst men. Ah! <laughs> Many times, I taught you this last week when I was teaching um, during the miracle service, that many instructions God will give you may not make sense amongst men. So when you have lived your life to please men, when God is giving you those instructions, you'll be wondering what's going on. Why? Why? So all your mates, they finish school. Some of them have billion dollar jobs. None of them actually. But some people have million dollar jobs. Let's say like that. Some of them have million, million naira jobs. And then God is asking you, I want you to go and teach in the secondary school. You say what now? Anyway? Secondary school. British International. God said, no. Igomode. It's a fantabulous. What we don't realize, God doesn't judge success the way man judges success. See, you can be very successful in the eyes of men and be a colossal failure in the eyes of God. And I often say this, a lot of pastors will tell you, a lot of people, not just pastors, will tell you that when you don't obey God, you will fail. It's not always true. Ah, it's not, the devil is smart. There are situations where the devil will put you outside of God's will and prosper you well. You will have money, you will be happy, you will remain cool, calm and calculated and be collected. And you will get to heaven and God will show you, this is where I asked you to go. This is where you went. But God, I was successful, yes, in that direction. But this is where I needed you to be. You can't be a man who seeks after pleasing other men and be a servant of Christ. What will people say? Let them say. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Yes, sir. Let them say. Let them say. Praise the Lord. Last scripture of the day. Galatians chapter 6 verse 4. Have you learned something this morning? Yes, Galatians chapter 6 verse 4. Everybody read together. One, two, go. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. And not in another. You know what this scripture means? Face your work. Do your work. Joy comes from doing your work. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you hear what I'm saying? So instead of comparing yourself to um, XYZ person, do your work. Instead of comparing yourself to your neighbor, just do your own work. People might come and help you do the comparison because you have loved ones. Can you not see your mates? Look at your mates. Look at where they are. Just tell them it's okay. I've seen my mates. I'm happy for them. Can I do my work now? I am not my mates. Praise the Lord. He says, and then shall you have rejoicing in yourself alone. So you, you will find a level of joy that comes from knowing 
this is where God will have me be right now. It may not be flashy. It may not, it may not be 30 under 30. I may not be any, on anybody's list of anything. But this is where God will have me be right now. And I know with all my chest that I am where God will have me be. There's true joy in that. Listen, I'm not trying to shoot down your ambitions. Ambitions are important. I taught you this in January. You must have ambitions. You must, you must have ambitions for money. The gospel needs money. Is that correct? Uh, so God blesses people so that they can do the work of ministry. If there was no Joseph of Arimathea in the political sphere, Jesus' body would have been thrown in a valley. That place called Golgotha was called Golgotha because they used to throw people's bodies there. And so their bodies would decompose and then um, you would see all these skulls lying around. That place was called the place of skulls. So that was what they would have done with Jesus' body if there was no Joseph of Arimathea. Ambition is important. However, as important as ambition is, there is such a thing as negative or evil ambition. An ambition that is not towards the glory of God. Are you hearing me? You see that one? Run away from it. Don't let any man be the reason you do anything you do. Do you hear me? My father, he insults me. I want to have money so I can prove to him you owe no man nothing. Do you get me? I want to prove to him that I don't need him. Mm -mm. Prove to yourself that you can be responsible. Face your work and you you will find joy. Because what if your father dies before the proving is complete? When I was in secondary school, one girl told me I would never amount to anything in life. So now I work hard. All those things sound like great success stories that, hey, yeah, he picked himself up from the mud and he moved forward. Kudos to you. I love you. God bless you. But let no man be the reason you do anything. So you are working hard to prove to her that you will amount to something. Then you will not finally amount to what you think is something. And then you appear to her, she's bigger than you. Or worse still, you appear to her, she doesn't even know who you are. You introduce yourself, I was in, she'll say, Really, you were in my school. Which house? Which class? I don't remember you. Do you know that the conversation has ended there? Because you cannot now tell her that you said to me that she'll say, Hey, I said it to you. Hey, yeah. So, all your life, that's been your driving force. Oh, yeah, I take it back. No vex. So what drives you beyond that point? Comparison will kill you. Do you hear me? Doing things to please people will kill you. Human beings cannot be pleased. I mean, Moses literally just led the children of Israel out of captivity of 430 years. They were under captivity for so long. And then Moses literally just brought them out of Egypt. They should have been singing his praises, carrying him. Moses should not touch ground again. Uh -uh. Before Moses says, I need water, they say they they have options. We have sparkling water. um, We have flavored water. Ordinary water, cold water, hot water, very hot water. Which one do you want, sir? Just to thank you for delivering us. But no, they got to the Red Sea barely minutes after. And then they started to say, look at you. The, The Bible says they were murmuring. Moses split the Red Sea. They walked on dry land, got to a desert. There was no water. And then they wanted to kill him. Human beings are insatiable. You can't please them. So when you live your life to please people, you, have, you are embarking on a fruitless journey. Nobody will be pleased. Do you know the funny thing? The very people you are trying to please, when you now stand before them and say, this is all I've achieved, they say you're a proud person. Why will you be declaring your achievements before us? Who asked you? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He says, let that man do his work. Let him take pride in his work. Prove your own work. Do it with all your chest. And he says, he will find joy, rejoicing in himself alone, not in another person. This is what the Lord wants for you. To find joy in your own handiwork. That it may not be much. I might not be an aeronautic engineer designing aeroplanes. All I do is I make necklaces from beads. That's fine. I made this bead. This one, I made it with my hand. Do you hear me? 
Father, in the name of Jesus, teach me to be content and teach me to not be in competition with anybody around me. Open your mouth and pray. Go ahead and pray. Let me not be in any competition with anybody around me. Let me just do my work. Give me the grace and the wisdom to do so. In Jesus' name we have prayed. I said in Jesus' name we have prayed. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.